Welcome back to the Brave Girls Gather B1 Study Podcast. You're listening to episode four, the teaching from the study content of week three. I feel like I should pray first, so I'm going to do that. God, I thank you so much. We thank you so much for this time. I feel you here sitting around the table Every time I'm here, God, I feel you here. You're in our midst, and I believe that you are working in ways that we don't even realize through our conversation. I thank you for that, God. I pray that you would be upon my words, that you would help me to communicate the things that you've put upon my heart in a way that they could not just be heard but understood. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I wanted to start with a story, and I've shared quite a few stories about my daughter. And so tonight I have one about my son. Uh, This is my 10-year-old son. This is my youngest son. And at Christmas time, we came to the candlelight service here at this church. And, you know, you light the candle in the service. There's a time where everyone lights their candle. Well, at the end of the service, the pastor, he communicated that if you had committed your life to Jesus, that you should raise your candle up. So after he gives this invitation, my son, I catch out of the corner of my eye, my son lifts his candle up. And so I'm just thinking in my heart, you know, just pondering, oh, wow, you know, I thought he already did this, but maybe there's just like something else going on where he feels like he just really needs to commit right now. So I get home and I'm talking to my husband and I said, hey, did you see, did you see Max lifted up his candle? And my husband said, yeah, we should probably talk to him about that. And I said, yeah, I will, I will. So at bedtime that night, we usually have some great conversations at bedtime. So it's bedtime. And I'm talking to him. I said, hey, you know, tonight I saw that when the pastor said to lift your candle up, that you lifted up your candle. And he said, yeah, I kind of felt like I was a miner in a cave. And I said, oh, well, well, the pastor had said that if you were committing your life to Jesus, that you should raise up your candle. Did did you hear him say that? He said, no, I wasn't paying attention. (laughs) So last week, we talked about listening carefully, right? And so this week, we're going to open up with right there in chapter 3, verse 1, think carefully. That's your first fill in the blank. So last week, the writer of Hebrews was telling us that we needed to listen carefully. And this week in chapter 3, he is saying, think carefully. Verse 1 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners, we're partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about what? About this Jesus whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. That word think, uh, it, it means to consider. In some versions, it says consider. And the Greek word for this word is kata nueo. Kata nueo. And, and that's there on your paper. And it, it means to, to think, to appeal to the ears and to the mind, to consider attentively. It, it also means to fix one's eyes or mind upon. We want to fix our eyes or our mind upon something. This word is also used in Acts 7 31. Follower of Jesus who's speaking at this time. He is kind of giving a sermon right before his death, and he's referring to Moses, and he's he's talking about how when Moses saw the burning bush, he says, when he saw this, he was amazed. When Moses saw the burning bush, he was amazed at the sight of it, and as he went over to get a closer look, or in some versions it says to behold it, he heard the Lord say. 
So this word think is the same word that is described when referencing Moses looking at the burning bush. And if you could just imagine being there and seeing a burning bush and God talking from it, what might you be thinking? What might you be feeling, right? That's kind of how the author of Hebrews is telling us we want to consider this Jesus, like he's the burning bush that we need to pay attention to throughout the book of Hebrews. I was sharing with the leaders beforehand, before everyone else got here, that this study, as we move through the weeks ahead, we're just going to get deeper and deeper. If we could, right? It's like we can get deeper into who Jesus is. Yes, we can get deeper into who Jesus is. And that's what we're going to do. And so I think this is a very timely moment to say, let's think carefully. Let's behold Let's behold who Jesus is as we move through the rest of this study. Verses 3 and 4, we get into talking about the house, the house of the Lord. It says, But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. And we've talked about that. We've talked about the beginning when God was there and Jesus was there, and they created the world. He built not only the world, but he built the temple, the original temple. And in this section, we're talking about Moses. And Moses was the one who led the Israelites out of slavery. They were in slavery in Egypt, and Moses let them out, led them out. He was a deliverer, just as Jesus leads us out of our own slavery to sin. He is the real deliverer of all people. And so in verses five and six, so if you have your Bibles, these verses are not on your handout because they are the content of our study. So if you want to open up your Bible and follow along, you might get more out of this or open up the Bible app on your phone. Uh, We're in Hebrews chapter three, and now we are in verses five and six. It says, Moses was certainly faithful to God in his house as a servant. His work was an illustration. It was an illustration. It was a picture. It's kind of like, the earth was God's canvas. See, there was a temple. We, we've talked about this a little bit before. There was a temple. There is a temple. That was, but there is a temple. The heavenly temple is there in heaven. And God gave Moses instructions of an earthly temple to build. And it was a copy of the heavenly temple. And we are going to get even further into this in a couple of weeks. But I wanted to go ahead and begin to share this with you now so you can get a picture. So God is literally like taking the heavenly temple and he's creating a picture of it here. He's creating an illustration of it here. And why this is so significant, if you can think of an artist when they create their original painting, right? That's worth so much more. The original painting is worth so much more than the copy. But why do we make copies of paintings? So you can enjoy it. So you can enjoy the painting, right? You can't, everybody can't go to see the original pieces. So they make copies of it. And it's like God is creating this vision for us to be able to see the temple, to get a visual picture of the temple that's going to be in heaven. And so the real deal is worth so much more. And as we're going to see, as we move through this study, because Jesus came, we get the real deal now, and we're really going to delight in the real deal when we see it face to face. So if we continue on, it, it says that in verse 6, but Christ as the Son is in charge of the entire house, and we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. So we, the church, have become the temple. 
In the Old Testament, they built a physical temple. They went to the temple. And now in Christ, the church has become the temple. We actually talked about this at our table. The building is not the church. The building is the place that we come to worship. The church is the people. The word actually says that we are a temple. Each one of us is a temple. And in Ephesians, it says that we all come together to build the whole house. So God went from this physical structure in the Old Testament to now a spiritual structure. The church is now a spiritual structure. Does that make sense? Are you guys following me? Okay. So I want to give you kind of, I want to give you an illustration to help you get it even more. Okay. So I drew this over here on the board and I'm going to move this just a little bit so it picks it up. Jesus, when he was in heaven, was spirit. Before he came to earth, he was spirit. He came to earth and he became man, spirit and man together. So now spirit has taken on man. He didn't leave spirit behind. Spirit came, entered man. And so now Jesus was spirit and man. And then by resurrecting from the grave, he gave us access to spirit. Before we were just man. But when Jesus came, he gave us access to spirit. He, when he returned to heaven, he returned to heaven as spirit and man. So he sits in heaven as spirit and man. And because he came, we get spirit. We are spirit and we are man. And so last week we talked about that verse that says we are seated with Christ. We're actually seated with him because we have spirit and spirit is seated there. So therefore the spirit in us is seated there. Does that make sense? And we have become the church. We have become the building. We have become the temple. Because in the Old Testament, the temple was where the Spirit of God was. And now the Spirit of God is in us. So we are the temple. So it says, how do we remain the house? We have to keep our courage. We have to remain confident in our hope. That is what verse 6 says. We must remain in the hope that we first had when we came to Jesus. Why? Because when we are confident in our hope, we live like the church, right? When we're not confident, when we're doubting, when we're worried, when we're afraid, when our thoughts are consuming us, when our problems are consuming us and we're not sure what's gonna happen and our eyes have shifted off of we're not beholding Jesus, but we're beholding what's wrong, we don't act like the church. Right now, there's a lot going on in the world, right? And the world is freaking out, right? The whole world is freaking out about the coronavirus, right? If we keep our eyes on our confident hope, we're going to be the light of the world. We're going to be peace. As we learn in a a minute, we're going to be rest because we have rest. Many of us, we can speak, right? We can speak like we have this confident hope. We have all the words. But what I want you to do is I want you to consider Where do your actions line up with that confident hope? And where do your actions maybe not line up with the confident hope, right? We all do it. I'm guilty. I'll raise my hand, right? We are all guilty of letting our thoughts consume us. But when we do that, we take our eyes off of hope. We take our eyes off of victory. We take our eyes off of freedom. And we stop representing who God is. That's why he says, that's why the writer of Hebrews says, if we take courage and remain confident in our hope. Verse 7. This is why the Holy Spirit says, I don't know if you caught that. This is what the Holy Spirit says, the Spirit of God. Today, when you hear my voice, don't harden your hearts. Where might God be saying that to you today? 
Where might he be saying to you, today, when you hear my voice, don't harden your hearts? Is there a place where he's trying to speak into it? And you're like, no, I just, I can't hear that. I don't know about you, but for me, when fear sets in and I get afraid of losing something, it is when I'm more prone to say, you know what, God, I don't don't know if that's you. (laughs) Maybe it is, but I'm just going to come over here because this feels good to sit here for a minute. God's like, no, don't harden your heart. Make room. Make room. Open up some room. Soften your heart so that I can come in. It says that this is repeated three times. Did you guys notice that? In this week's reading, this verse was repeated three times. And there's a thing about threes in the Bible. When it's said three times, it basically means God means it. He really means this. I believe that this is a word for us to really pay attention to, to behold and listen to. So in verse 10, it says, the Israelites is who we're talking about. It says, they refused to do what God told them. And so he said, they will never enter his rest We cannot receive God's rest if we do not listen and obey his voice. They refused to do what he told them to do. And these are the Israelites that he rescued. He took them out of slavery and he rescued them. He promised them, I'm going to send you to a land and you're going to have rest there. But they refused to believe him and they refused to obey him. And so that same message is coming to us because if he was speaking to them when they had this shadow of a temple, And we've had Jesus come and we carry Jesus in us and we are the temple. How much more does he mean it to us? Obey, listen, believe, have confident hope. So we see that because of their unbelief, they were unable to enter his rest. Verse 12, be careful that your own hearts are not sinful and unbelieving, turning away from the living God. Unbelief, this was mentioned at our table as well. Unbelief, it turns us away from the living God. We have to believe that his promises are true. You see, we have an enemy. He wants to snatch the truth from us. He comes in and he wants to deceive and he wants to, he just, he doesn't want us to believe Because if we believe we're going to act like the church, we're going to be the light of the world. A a friend texted me a couple of weeks ago, and and her text to me is brave girls gather, right? She said, what would happen if we all lived brave? And I thought about it for a second, and then I texted her back, and I said, we'd be the light of the world if we all lived brave. And it was the brave ones who would enter into God's rest. Where in your heart may you be deceived Where in your heart may sin be trying to get down some roots? Is there a place? It's just something for you to ponder and consider. You know, it it says today, today, is there a place where maybe God is saying, I want you to do something and you're like, "I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. Or maybe he wants you to say something and you're like, I'll say it next time. Or I'll say it tomorrow. God is saying today, today. There might not be a tomorrow. We don't know. There might not be a tomorrow. Verse 14. For if we are faithful to God to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, no matter how hard it gets, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. That seatedness next to God, we will share in all of it if we will believe as when we first believed. If you are in this room and you have been following Jesus for a while, chances are, that the things that he is putting in front of you are much harder than the things that he put there in the beginning. You see, the Israelites, they crossed the Red Sea to, to fully get away from Egypt. They had to cross a Red Sea, and God parted it. He parted the water, and they walked across it. 
And then they wandered in the desert. Many of them never got to cross any further than that because of why? Their unbelief. So God allowed their children to continue on, and Joshua was the one who led his children on. And recently I saw an Instagram post, Insta-famous? It was really good, though. I bookmarked it. Uh, of a pastor named Jabin Chavez, and he talks about this very thing, about how God brought the Israelites through the Red Sea, and then they get to the Jordan. They're about to cross over into the Promised Land. They've been waiting forever for this to get into the Promised Land, and there's a raging river. And so when it was the Red Sea, they didn't have to do anything. God just parted it, and then they got to walk across on dry land. But you know what happened when they got to the Jordan? God told them they had to step in the raging water first. So it got harder. So sometimes our problems get harder because God wants to grow our faith. He wants us to mature in our faith. And they were brave, and he's like, you're about to be braver. I'm about to make you more brave. And so it's, the, it's that challenge that when things get harder, are we going to run? Because when we first, I don't know about you guys, but when I first came to Christ, I thought I could do anything. It's like God is the God of the impossible and all things are possible in Christ. And so I can do anything and he's going to fix anything. But when things started to get really hard is when I started to question and doubt. And when I held on tight, I'm not going to say I've never doubted. <laughs> that would not be telling you the truth. But in my doubt, I decided to hold on anyway and just see where God would take me. And he took me through it. And so now I can say I have a confident hope. The past five days, Sunday, five days back, walked through something very, very difficult. And it did not turn out the way, if I could write the story, I would have wrote the ending by Sunday a lot different. But by the end of Sunday, it did not end with my ending. But do you want to know what? I could tell you all the places I saw God in those five days. I could tell you every place that I saw him. So I rest in peace. It didn't turn out how I wanted it to, but I have the joy of the Lord. I have his rest. I am resting in the fact that I saw his hand. I did not get here overnight. It's been walking through hardship and trouble and just determining to hold on and keep believing. But this is the type of rest that he's talking about. You see, for the Israelites, it was a physical rest. They're going to get into the promised land and they're going to have a physical rest. But for us, we get a spiritual rest. When things aren't going right, when the waters are raging, we get a spiritual rest. We get a peace. We go, it's okay. God's got it. He's, he's on the throne. I'm going to trust him in this. He knows what he's doing. He's got the situation. He's got my loved one in his hands. He's going to work it out if I will just trust him. If I'll just sometimes just step in the water. I was talking with a friend last night. She's about to make a big decision. And she started saying, I'm just not sure. I'm just kind of, you know, I'm not really sure. And she's walked through some hard stuff. And I told her, I said, you got to step in the Jordan. It's time. That's where God has you. He has you about to step in the Jordan. Chapter four, this is where it's going to talk about uh, Joshua. And this is your second fill in the blank. Last week we said we receive family, right? This week we receive rest. Verses one through four says God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some may fail to experience it. At the end of chapter three, it talks about the Israelites who didn't get to make it into God's promised land. Their bodies were left in the wilderness. That's kind of a gruesome thought. So how much more should we tremble in fear if we don't enter this rest that God has for us?
Verse two, for this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them, but it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. And I believe sometimes that's a moment by moment decision to enter his rest. Like sometimes we're like, I got the peace that surpasses all understanding. And then it gets a little harder. And just for, even sometimes for a moment, or sometimes a day, or sometimes a week, or sometimes a month, or sometimes a year, we stop believing, and we don't have rest, and we don't have peace. Faith and peace are interconnected. You can't have peace unless you have faith, unless you believe. Verse 4, we know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all of his work, right? And so God is showing us, he's showing us that when we, when we believe there's rest for us, and he planted this right there in the beginning in Genesis. That scripture is on your paper there, Genesis 2.2. It says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. In the physical, he rested on the seventh day. And part of that was a foreshadowing of the rest that he was going to give us in Jesus. Do you know what Jesus' final words were on the cross? It is finished. What does it say in Genesis chapter two? Underline it. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. He had finished. And Jesus says, it is finished. Jesus is the Sabbath rest. Recently, I had a Jehovah witness come to my door. Whenever that happens, my husband says, hold on, my wife would love to speak to you. (laughs) And I do. And so recently they came to the door and they they always try to tell you that they think Jesus is who you say Jesus is. And that is the question. And I love that this church is doing a series right now. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say I am? Because that's my question for them. Who do you say Jesus is? And at first the answer always kind of sounds like the truth. But if you get down, if you really drill them down to who they believe Jesus is, they don't believe the same thing we do. They believe in works. And so I ask him, What were Jesus' final words on the cross? He said, it is finished. That's right. And in Genesis, God said, when his work was finished, he rested. And Jesus says, it's finished. The work is done. We don't have to strive. We don't have to be perfect. We can mess up. We don't intentionally sin. But when we do, God's got it covered. It's why he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus because we can't be perfect. So it's okay. It's okay to have those moments where we just don't get it right. We can let go of that. Striving for perfection does nothing. It doesn't, it, basically what it does, it says, Jesus, your, your finished wasn't enough. I got to do it. And God's saying, no, rest in me. Every good work you do should come from a place of rest and peace that you have in Jesus. Jesus working through you. That situation that I was in this past weekend, I kept saying, God, you're the way maker. You're the miracle worker. I'm just going to be. I kept when friends saying, how, how are you? How are you doing? I said, I am just going to be. I'm just going to be in Jesus. I'm going to let him take me where he wants to take me. I'm going to let him use my mouth the way he wants to use my mouth. But he's the miracle worker. He's the way maker. He's the God. I do what's possible and he's responsible for the impossible. And I can't take that when a friend told me that and I remembered it. So do you have rest? Do you have peace? Are you resting in the peace that God has given you? Finally, as we get into the end of chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, some of my most favorite verses in the Bible. For the word of God is alive and powerful. 
It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between the soul and the spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So I brought something. You wear a crown and you carry a sword. And I don't know about you, but when I think about walking around with a crown on my head and a sword in my hand, that feels good. That feels, I feel really good right now. Holding this sword, I feel really good. Okay, so if you need to go buy yourself a sword and keep it in your closet, and when you feel like it's too hard, you just need to go get out, go buy a crown. Go buy a crown and go put the crown on and hold the sword and look in the mirror. I'm not kidding. Party City is not too far from here, okay? Whatever it takes for you to remember who you are and for you to remember what that book is, that one right there. That book is a sword. It is a weapon, It searches every part of us. That's what it means. In week one of this study, you were told that whenever you are going to the word, you're to do two things. And I would do a pop quiz, but I'm not going to put you on the spot. Seek and search. Seek to understand what God is saying. And then let the word search your heart. Let it go into that soft heart, not that hardened one, because if your heart is hard, it can't search. But if you will let it search... It will find. And I'm going to tell you guys something pretty amazing. It says it's alive. Okay. I was unsure of what to do this weekend. I was unsure. And on Friday, my phone was in my bag. And I pulled my phone. I was at the Strawberry Festival. And I pulled my phone out of my bag. And my finger just kind of opened everything. And the Bible app opened. And it wasn't even the Bible app I normally use. And it opened to Jeremiah 6.27. I have not been in the book of Jeremiah and I don't know how long. I cannot tell you how this happened. But it said, I have made you a tester of metals so that you may know the intentions of my people. And I needed to know the intentions of the person that I was in the situation with. So I knew right then that what I needed to do was test the person. And that's what we did. So the word of God has every answer that you need. It will search your heart. It will tell you what your own intentions are. And it will also tell you what you need to do in any and every situation. The word of God is food. It is food for our soul. When Jesus was tempted in the desert, he hadn't eaten in 40 days and 40 nights. The enemy came to him. And the first thing he attacked was his identity. But he said, if you're hungry, turn this stone into bread. And Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And God has this way of weaving things into the spiritual that came out of the physical. And I don't know about you guys, but I need to eat three times a day. And sometimes I need a snack in between. And so if I eat breakfast, I can tell you when lunchtime is. And I need to eat unless I'm fasting and then I, God will help me through that. But typically at lunchtime, it's time to eat, right? And some of us will get a verse in the morning and we're still trying to eat on that verse in the afternoon. And sometimes we'll get a verse on Sunday and we're trying to be nourished by that food all week long. Could you imagine just having one meal a week? It wouldn't be enough. And the enemy is also alive and active. But Jesus conquered him and he gave us everything we need to conquer in every situation that we're in. And so I want to close with at the beautiful conference, there was the keynote speaker, Hosanna Wong. In her last talk, she talked about how the enemy attacks us. He attacks our thoughts. And I've had several conversations with friends this week of the enemy just getting into the thought life. It happens to all of us. And it's, it's been happening 
a lot around me lately. And so Hosanna was talking about that because it's real and it happens because the enemy doesn't want us to know who we are in Christ. And so she went through the different names that Jesus calls us, reminding ourselves of who we are in Christ. And so on Monday morning after the conference, I'm driving my kids to school and I decide that I'm going to tell them. And I I tell them, I was like, you know how sometimes you have these thoughts and they make you feel really icky? Well, that's the enemy. Like thoughts like you're not loved or that you're not worthy or you're not worth anything. Or maybe even have thoughts that you're dumb. Those are not from God. That's from the enemy. And so then I start going through, I had put them in my phone and I pulled up the notes in my phone. And I started going through who Jesus calls them. And I said, he calls you friend. John 15, 15. These are the verses that Hosanna Wong brought out. He calls you friend. So if there's a, in a place where you feel like you don't have a friend, Jesus calls you friend. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, he calls you chosen. And we talked about that. We talked about maybe there's places where you don't feel like the chosen one. Someone else got picked. Guess what? God calls you chosen. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. And when I got to this one, I kid you not, I'm driving 55 miles an hour down the road. And all of a sudden, a big, huge, ginormous vulture comes down out of the sky, out of nowhere, coming directly towards my windshield with his claws down. And I gradually pressed on my brakes. This was morning traffic, cars everywhere. And I start screaming. <laughs> and then, the, then it just swoops up over my windshield. And I'm sitting there stunned for a minute. My kids are like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. I literally thought that bird was coming in my windshield, but it didn't. It swooped right over. But this is what I felt the Holy Spirit ministering to me in that moment. The enemy does not want your children to know who they are. And you are God's children. And the enemy does not want you to know who you are. He doesn't. But God does. And that book, this book, the Bible, it tells us who we are. It reminds us every day. So I'm going to finish these verses. Acts 1.8, we are a messenger to the nations. John 6.36, we are free indeed. 2 Corinthians 5.27, we are brand new. And Galatians 3.26, we are children of God. We are a child of God. So this week, the next two weeks, when you're feeling discouraged, when you're hearing voices that it's not worth it, you're not worth it, what do you think you're doing? You're not worthy. You're not chosen. You're not loved. I want to encourage you to go get that book. Maybe you want to write down these verses and you want to read them and remind yourself who you are. Go get your sword out of the closet. Stand in the mirror. Put your crown on. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word of truth. Thank you so much for the rest and peace that we have in you. God, we want to behold you. We want to think carefully about you, God, and the enemy distracts. But you said that no weapon formed against your church will prosper. In you, we prosper every single time. So I pray for the well-being of each woman here. I pray for her well health. I pray for the well health of her family. And I pray that she would experience that peace in such a level that she would not miss this opportunity to be the light in the world, the light in the darkness, the light in the dark cave. 
following along with this week's handout you might have noticed that I forgot to mention the last fill in the blank so here it is for you the word is your weapon thanks for listening and hope you'll join us back next week